The following is a sermon from the Edgington Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. Well, it's time to open the scriptures together. Let me encourage you to open up to Genesis and chapter 20. Stretch out your hand for a pew Bible in the rack in front of you or the Bible that you have brought from home to Genesis and chapter 20. Uh, we have moved out of Genesis 19 and with that maybe a, a deep sigh of relief uh, from some of you. Uh, but now in Genesis and chapter 20, uh, we find the continuing story of the faith of our father, the life of Abraham. And we've been looking together in Genesis uh, since the beginning of 2019. And uh, we are moving towards a wonderful uh, ending point of transition of Abraham's life in the book of Genesis. But we're not just there yet. Uh, today, in Genesis chapter 20, uh, we find something of a repeat episode. Now, uh, today, uh, most people, I think, seemingly watch television via the internet or stream things rather than watch live television. And uh, some people are used to the idea of coming across lists of episodes, not remembering where they were and watching their season or their movie or whatever it was. And uh, they're three minutes in and they say, I've seen this before, and they skip it. This is a repeat episode. I've already seen this. It's a rerun. I've heard this before. I've seen this before. Whatever. And we want to just skip it. Well, in that sense, you might be tempted to skip Genesis chapter 20 because Genesis chapter 20 is something of a rerun actually from Genesis chapter 12. It is a repeat episode, almost so much so that there are some biblical scholars uh, toward a more leftward leaning tradition who say that Genesis chapter 20 actually doesn't belong in the Bible because it was a recopied chapter 12 and they're just repeat episodes. Now, uh, that's not the case, which is why Genesis chapter 20 is in the Bible. It is not just a repeat of chapter 12, although it looks very, very similar. So we'll, we'll try to remind ourselves what was in Genesis chapter 12, even as we look at chapter 20. But in chapter 20, we are going to find, uh, hopefully... The, the bursting of a bubble that many of us have, I think, when we think about biblical characters being some kind of superheroes. The characters of the Bible, apart from Jesus, are all sinners just like me and just like you. They're human beings. And although we are often tempted to place biblical figures on something of a pedestal, we find the reality that just like the rest of us, they struggle. But there's good news in that. There is great news in that, and we want to see that together. So before we read from Genesis chapter 20, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, we bow now in your presence with your word open before us, believing that here you speak to us. Your Holy Spirit rests upon our minds and teaches us that this is not just some other book. It is your living word, and through it your spirit is able to move into our hearts as well and interpret our very lives for us and gives us understanding about who we are and what our life is all about. And so, Lord, as we open up the Bible and read it together, I pray that this is not just some regular exercise of meaningless devotion, but rather here. In your living word, we might encounter you, the living God, and that you might point us to your Son, the Lord Jesus, 
in whom we have the hope of the forgiveness of our sins. And so, come now, Lord, and speak, for your servants are ready to hear you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. And so hear God's word in Genesis and chapter 20. This is the word of God. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur, and he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, So he said, Lord, would you kill an innocent people? Did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place. And they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech, took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated." Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. And let us... 
consider God's word here in Genesis chapter 20. Uh, well, there is, uh, as you can see, a lot that's happening in chapter 20, a lot of interesting family dynamics, uh, drama even, uh, misrepresentation. But as I said at the beginning, this is something of a repeat episode from Genesis chapter 12. So if you just stick your finger in chapter 20 and flip back to chapter 12, at the very beginning, when we learned of Abraham, we're going back uh, over more than 10 years back in history, after God had first called Abram uh, out of the land of Ur and out of the land of Hebron to go and journey to the land of Canaan, uh, he found in Canaan a famine, and so they went down to Egypt. And you remember at the end of chapter 12 that Abram and Sarah go down to Egypt and Abram tells the Pharaoh the exact same thing about his wife, Sarah. That she's not my wife, she's my sister in order to protect her. Uh, in order to protect Abraham as well. And it is the case in some of these ancient cultures that a woman who is traveling alone could be taken into the harem or the household of a king and there to live under his rule. And in order to save his own head, uh, Abraham also encourages his wife to say that uh, she, is, she is not his wife, but rather sister, although we learn that is somewhat of a half-truth. But the point is, is that this is a repeat episode. We've seen this same thing before. And although in chapter 20, there are many details and there are many intricacies of this chapter that I think are very fascinating and many statements that are made that are definitely worth consideration. What I want us to do is just see in chapter 20 uh, two realities. And in this, we want to see, first of all, that Abraham's faith in chapter 20 uh, fails. We we're going to see a failing faith of Abraham in chapter 20. And in the reality of this narrative of Abraham's failing faith, we also want to see the, the strengthening reality of God's grace. So failing faith and strengthening grace here in this repeat episode in chapter 20. Now, the reason why we find this failing faith, and there's many reasons, of course, but the chief issue here for Abraham is that he is not really believing that God will protect him. Now, as Abraham journeys away from Sodom after the events of chapter 19, uh, we find him traveling down into the Negev, into the land of Gerar, where Abimelech is king. And there he says about his wife Sarah in verse 2, she is my sister. Now, the reason why this is such a risky reality is because, if you remember, Abraham and Sarah have had the promise that they will bring forth an heir of the covenant promise, and that child will be named Isaac, and it is just about the time, finally, when this child is going to be born. In fact, if you look ahead to chapter 21, that's what happens in chapter 21. This child that has been promised, and we've been hearing about again and again and again, is finally on the way, but just before he arrives, there is this scene of conflict and controversy that would make us ask the question, if we didn't already know the outcome, that this child is just on the way, will he really be the child of Abraham as Sarah is taken into another man's house? 
the risk of who the covenant child will be born by comes under controversy as Sarah is taken into Abimelech's house with the impending birth of Isaac. And Abraham gives us some insight into why he does this. We see in verses 12 and 13 that from the very beginning that this was a a policy that Abraham and Sarai had kind of pacted together to do. Hey, Sarah, anywhere we go, just make sure you don't admit that you're my wife. Okay? Now, this is not good marital advice in any situation whatsoever. Just deny that you know me, but don't die you know me. Just say that you're my sister. And they had this policy from the beginning, which is why we saw it in chapter 12, and here it is in chapter 20. But if you take a step back from this, and especially if you've been following this narrative and learning of who Abraham is and learning about all the things that have happened in his life, there may be this temptation in you to say, again? We're doing, we're doing this again? Surely Abraham should have known better by now. Surely Abraham should have trusted God more than this by now. We find that this is his standing policy, but often he, has this, he also has this motivation in verse 11. Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Abraham's faith is failing because he is not trusting that God will protect him and he is believing that he will surely die at this king's hand. And so what you have here in chapter 20, and this is again in summary format, is that you have the failing faith of Abraham, the deceitfulness of Abraham, the lying of Abraham, when just in chapter 19, you saw Abraham interceding and pleading with God for the sake of Sodom and praying for them and standing by as a witness. You saw Abraham in the triumph of faith in chapters 18 and 19, and then chapter 20 comes and he hits the pit again. And it's kind of exhausting, but it's exhausting because it's too familiar for us. That this experience of the radical peaks and valleys of the Christian life where we find ourselves in one moment at such a high and we're saying to ourselves, whatever comes my way, Lord, I'll live for you. And then Monday comes and next thing you know, but not then. Or not if you do this to me. Or not if that person says that. Or I'm scared of this person in my workplace if they find out I'm a Christian or whatever the case might be. There is this radical peaks and valleys in the pathways of Christian obedience. And we find it in Abraham just like we see it in our own life. And the contrast that exists here is between Abimelech, who as far as we know doesn't know anything really about God, who is a man of integrity. And Abraham, who has all this information about God and his covenant, who is a man of deceit. It's contrasting Abraham's deceitfulness with Abimelech's upright actions, as it seems here. What we have is this failure of faith. That God's promise is being outweighed by the reality of Abraham's fears. And so the question to ask is, do our fears outweigh our faith? Do the things that we are afraid of and the concerns that we have, the anxieties that we have, do they outweigh our faith in such a way that it is possible for us to stumble? And the answer is, yes, of course, that happens all the time. 
If, if you are the person who thinks you're the only one who feels like your faith is weak at times, let me just assure you that you are not alone. It is every single one of us, even Abraham himself, the Bible is saying. But we find here in this instance, when the rubber hits the road and when life gets hard, oftentimes our faith comes into the trial and it fails us. And we see it in Abraham and therefore it should not surprise us to find it in our own life because do not assume, you should not assume that you only have to learn a lesson from God one time. Children know this, don't they? We have to tell children again and again and again, don't, don't touch that. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't open that. Or maybe you have to tell your husband again and again and again, don't touch that, don't eat that, don't do whatever the case might be. God doesn't just teach us a lesson once. We have to learn sometimes again and again, sometimes through trials, what is really true. We have to learn oftentimes through struggles what will really hold us up. Just because we have learned it one time doesn't mean we never have to learn it again. And that was a very painful uh, reality for me in seminary because the way seminary works, uh, oftentimes in our classes, is just like all the students in high school just had to do here, you have to take a final exam to exit the class and pass. Uh, well, in my seminary, you not only had to take an exit exam, but you had to take an entrance exam into every class as well to make sure that over break you maintained what you learned from the previous semester so as never to let you off the hook from the knowledge that you were expected to have. Now, sometimes we have entrance exams into seasons of our lives as well. And the question is, is are we learning over time to trust what God has said to us? Abraham needs to continue to learn that God can be trusted Abraham is over a hundred years old and he still needs to learn that God will take care of him. So if you are still learning that lesson, join the club. Because here is faithful Abraham in this scenario. Abraham, the father of the faithful in these difficult circumstances, is failing to trust that God will care for him, care for his wife, care for the fulfillment of the promises. And it reminds us in this episode of Failing Faith that Abraham has been declared righteous and you as a Christian believer have been declared righteous in Jesus Christ, but you have not been made perfect. Abraham is not perfect. He has not been transformed into a perfectly righteous person in his flesh. He has been made, we could say, covenantally righteous, faithfully righteous, but not perfectly righteous. And no Christian believer is on this side of heaven. And this episode is given here to remind us that the Bible presents these characters of the faith in utter realistic fashion so that we will not be deceived about the fact that these are just real human people. There is absolutely no covering up of what Abraham does here. There is a realistic presentation of his strengths and his weaknesses, his faith and his fear, his righteousness and his sin, which is why Abraham is always used in the New Testament as the example of the sinner who is saved by grace. Because if Abraham was counting on his good works to save him, chapter 20 stands as a witness against him, doesn't it? Abraham's not perfect. Abraham is a sinner. 
But it is not Abraham's good works that commend him to God. It is Abraham's faith that clings to gracious promises. So we see the failing of Abraham's faith. And over on top of that reality is the strengthening grace of God. Now I said that there are details in this text that I think are worth mining for the sake of today when we're taking somewhat of a 30,000 foot view you have to go back and think what you think about what you understand about what verse 6 is saying that God in his providence restrains us from sinning against him that that is a very important point here that Abimelech receives a commendation ultimately because of his obedience there are details in this text that deserve your consideration but just Think about, secondly, this big picture of the strengthening grace of God. Abraham is humbled here because after deceiving Abimelech, Abimelech calls for him to give him an audience in verse 9. Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done? What have I done to you to deserve this, that you would deceive me? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And verse 10, he continues to lay on to Abraham, Explain yourself. What did you see that you did this? And Abraham has to be humbled before Abimelech and explain himself. I was afraid. I was afraid of you. And in so many words he's saying, I'm not trusting in God. And we find Abimelech's kindness to him in obedience to what God has told Abimelech, giving him all these things and giving Sarah back. But in the midst of these details and this strange drama and intersection of uh, something of two kingdoms, we find this main point that the grace of God keeps his people even when their faith fails. The grace of God keeps his people even when their faith fails. That God's commitment to his covenant promises exceeds how far our faith takes us. God is committed to Abraham and Sarah and he will fulfill his word to them. You see the risk that if Sarah remained in Abimelech's harem that there was danger of the covenant promise being fulfilled. Would Isaac ever be born? Would Abimelech be the father of Isaac? The answer is no, of course not. Why? Because God promised. Is Abraham life going to be taken from him before Isaac is born? The answer is no. Why? Because God promised. The answer is always that God has promised and in his promise there is grace that this promised child will come from Abraham and Sarah and it is a sure thing that despite Abraham's deceitful failing faith and self-preservation, God is watching over him. And God is watching over Abraham in such a way that he has to learn that lesson both in its joys and in its trials. That Abraham has to learn painfully that he is not his own savior. And that is a lesson that all of us must continually face as well. That I am not my own savior. The hope of the deliverance of my life is not within me and my wit and my schemes or my crafty thoughts. The Christian is a person who has discovered, sometimes through painful circumstance, that they are woefully inadequate to be their own Savior. They are not equipped. And it calls us back to the one true God in whom we have the promise of the covenant. We find here that when Abraham receives this grace, Abimelech shows kindness to Abraham. 
And then in verse 17, it says that Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech. And the reason why this chapter is here in the Bible is to give us this illustration that although believers are called to exercise their faith and live righteously in the midst of their fears, it is often the case that faith fails, but God's grace sustains the failing faith. And sometimes it is through our trials when we learn our greatest lessons and live into our greatest purposes because in verse 17... God blessed Abimelech because of Abraham, which is exactly what one of the covenant promises is, that God will bless those who bless Abraham, that through Abraham, Abimelech is blessed, that God's purposes are not stopped just because Abraham stumbles in his obedience, but rather God works out his purposes no matter what, and sometimes in spite of the failed obedience of his people because our God is a God of grace. And that is a grace that shows up again and again and again. Now just hear these three points of, I think, application. Three things that we need to lay hold of, especially to remember out of chapter 20. And the first one is, is that we need to view circumstances that threaten us in a particular way. Abraham was afraid he was going to die. And so we can say fairly that this was a trial that Abraham experienced. When we grow in grace, we need to grow in our view of trials. The Puritan Samuel Rutherford said that it is nighttime and shadows and the night darkness and the dew that the flowers need just as much as the sunshine. That if the flower receives continual sunshine all the time, it will be burnt up. And it is oftentimes God's purpose in the night and in the shadows to work in our lives in such a way to produce humility and dependence and to energize our faith to lay hold of what we don't yet presently see so that we will learn to live by faith, sometimes in the midst of our hardest trials. And that is a lesson that we learn from Abraham, not only here, but a lesson in all the scriptures. That Abraham is the one whom God has made all of these glorious promises, but Abraham is not a perfect man, he is a fallen man, and that's why he needs the covenant constantly reassured to him no, God's word is true and his promises are true and you can trust them even in the midst of your trials. So we learn about a view of trials, but also secondly, we learn that Abraham needs to painfully learn that he is not to rely on himself. That Abraham's cunning schemes and wits and half-truths are not what's going to ultimately deliver him to safety but that if Abraham makes it to the fulfillment of God's promises, it will be because it was all of grace. And I want to challenge you to think of your life that way. I think oftentimes people do not appropriately, and the reason why I think it's because some people think it's just a morbid thought, but people do not appropriately think about the moment of their death. 
Samuel Rutherford also said it is the minister's job to prepare his people to die. Faithfully. I want to challenge you to think about your life in such a way that you would be able to say that at the highest point and the lowest and every day in between that it was all of grace that carried me. It wasn't my, my wit. It wasn't my schemes. It wasn't my deceits. It wasn't my wisdom. It was all of grace. I want you to think about your life that way now so that at the moment of your death it will be a routine thought for you to say "'Tis grace has brought me safe thus far and grace shall lead me home. And one last, one last consideration then as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper, that Abraham is one of the central figures of the Old Testament, but not only that, but also in the New Testament. The New Testament calls Abraham's name to remembrance many, many, many times, especially in Romans and Galatians and in Hebrews chapter 11. Who is Abraham? He's the man of faith. He's the man of righteousness. He is the man who has God's promises. But do you know that this episode in chapter 20 is never going to come back up again? And what should we make of that, I think? I think it should say something to us that thankfully God does not keep a record of our sins and that is because the book of Colossians says that the record of our sins has been laid into Christ's hand and there the nail has pierced both the record of our sins into our Savior's own flesh so that as we recall the man Abraham we do not recall all of his failings and all of his sins. We recall that he is a man who has been shown grace. And I'm thankful in my life that that's true and in your life as well, that God does not keep a record of our wrongs, but that they have been swallowed up in Jesus Christ. And so in that sense, Genesis 20 is a repeat story of chapter 12 in one sense, but in a greater sense. This chapter points us to the greatest story that ought always to be on repeat, the story of the gospel, that Christ redeems us from our sins, that though we have sinned and though we have stumbled and though our faith has fallen and failed, your God and my God, our God, is a God of grace, covers our sins, even the sins of these so-called superheroes of the Bible whom we find out are actually just like us. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your word we find truth. We find a mirror in which we can peer to confront the realities of our own sins, our own failings, our own struggles, and there to find the assurance that you are a God of grace who carries us despite our sins. We thank you, Lord, that our relationship with you is not based on our performance, but built upon Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's sermon. If you would like more information about our church or its ministries, please visit edgingtonepc.org. May God bless and keep you.